We always think that it's like I have to postpone joy and postpone hope until my circumstances change. But the supernatural joy and hope that's given us defies circumstances. So much that's coming at us is spiritual intimidation. It's spiritual bullying. You know, so much of what we fear doesn't ever come to pass. And yet the stuff that God does allow, he does redeem. For so many of us, it feels like we're bracing for impact. Like, even if things are going okay right now, we're sure the other shoe is about to drop. Part of us can quote all the Bible verses that speak to the goodness and faithfulness of God. We might even share them with others. And yet the other part of us so often is living in this fear that something bad is going to happen and God is somehow going to let us down or leave us to face this alone. That's why we're thankful for a good friend like Susie Larson, who's willing to shoot straight with us and remind us what is true. Not only does she remind us of God's goodness, she's here to tell us there's no better way to live than to trust Jesus with your pain, your worry, your fear, your future, all of it. Dive in with us as Susie unpacks what she shares in her 40-day devotional, Waking Up to the Goodness of God. Well, Susie, welcome back to the conversation this morning. Stan, I would join you any day of the week. You're one of my favorites, <laughs> well, so thank you for having me. Yeah, the feelings are 1,000% mutual. I woke up with a smile on my face this morning. <laughs> so super excited about talking about your latest book, Waking Up to the Goodness of God, 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness. And super excited about this topic that we're going to talk about today. I'm super excited about the devotional. A number of years ago, I'd been battling with some health stuff, thought I had identified that it was in the house, had been living in for about eight years. And for a little window of time, it seemed like things were regulating up. And I remember sitting in my uh, dining room and just kind of talking to the Lord a little bit. And this will sound, kind of, I don't know how it'll sound, but uh, it's real. I was just talking to the Lord and I said, you know, God, some people, like, they seem like they get through life. And some I actually know, they kind of pretty much got through life pretty unscathed. They didn't really hit anything super, super hard. You know, I had gone through, again, some pretty significant health things. And I was like, God, you don't have to do this. Could I maybe go the rest of my life. <laughs> I, I, yes. I, I literally prayed that. I won't, but they're having. <laughs> yes. I knew I didn't obligate God to that, obviously. And I knew I couldn't. From that time, health ended up plummeting and uh, ended up being homebound for three years. Lost my mom totally unexpectedly to a fluke thing that happened in the hospital that should have been quick and easy. Thrust of your devotional is how do you process life and God in a way that's helpful and healthy in the midst of the reality of the fact that we're all going to going to walk through some pretty significant trauma in life. I mean, you talk about, you know, bracing for impact. <laughs> you know, you're always kind of bracing for impact. So how do we live in a way that that isn't that bracing for impact? I know I get it. And I've been there and I've prayed those prayers. And I think that's one of the reasons I love chatting with you so much, because there's never facade or pretense. This is the gut level honesty. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think, Stan, one of the reasons God has given you and I both a microphone is because uh, we don't know how to fake it. Mm -hmm. And we're walking like everybody else through trials, traumas, hardships and heartbreaks. And uh, I think what you just said, people are going, yes, 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 that's Mm -hmm. me, that's me, that's me. And if you really look at the last few years in our world and in our nation, pretty much everybody's bracing for impact. It does seem like there are some that skate through, like every time you ask them, how are you doing? Great. I'm like, really? You you were great last time. How are you still great? <laughs> and uh, I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. That might be one of the questions I have for the Lord. But one of our old retired pastor friends always said, the depth of the dealing always corresponds with the height of the calling. Mm-hmm. Like there there is a suffering mm-hmm. that he allows, but there's nothing that he allows that he won't redeem. And uh 
you know, for those who know my backstory, three decades of, of Lyme disease. And uh, but God has been so faithful in it. But I will say, and you know this because you and I've talked about it a few times, had a pretty massive relapse about nine years ago that was horrifying, terrifying, traumatizing. It was terrible. I hated it. I And there were times down here in my family room because I didn't want to keep my hobby up. I'd be pacing, quoting scripture. I was having stroke-like symptoms on a regular basis. And I'm like, you either have to kill me or heal me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have the mental bandwidth to keep at this. And um, there was a very godly friend who confronted me in a loving way. And um, I want to just say this, you know, when it's, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, when it's time for you to bring a correction, if there's anything in you that's like, let me at them, you're not the person to talk with them, you know. Mm-hmm. But if there's something in you like that, I so don't want to do this, but I sense the Lord is calling me to say, bring this word, you're probably the person. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even bring it like a correction, but it was a correction. And she said, Susie, you seem to be living like you're waiting for the next shoe to drop. And I honestly stand thought, well, that's sort of the natural result of an unpredictable disease. But she had so much compassion in her heart. She had Jesus compassion. Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he was always moved by compassion. That always precipitated his miracles and his ministry was compassion. Mm. So to feel that unbelievable oozing compassion, it sort of kind of quickened to me. And I thought, no, there's more than just there's more to this than this and I'm seeing. So I got alone with the Lord and said, show me my heart. And he showed me, Stan, that I was disappointed in him. I was hurt by him. I still loved him. I was getting up every morning, reading the word. I'm getting on the air and I'm proclaiming truth that I Mm. believe. I wasn't faking that. But in the basement of my soul was this hurt that you could have stopped it and you didn't. Like, why? You know, and why does the contrast seem so great? And I do think the enemy strategically positions people who got it all together in a moment or season when we're falling apart just to rub salt in the wound, you know. (laughs) But as I started to pay attention to that, I thought, we don't default to positions of faith, hope, and love. We don't. We don't default to positions of vision for what God might do. We default to fear, anxiety, doubt, worry, comparison. It's the gravity of living on a fallen world. It's the weight of sin. It pulls our gaze downward always. And, you know, I can't remember if I talked to you about this last time I was on, so forgive me if this is a repeat, but there's like a little nugget, a little secret, I feel like, in Scripture that the Israelites got wrong that helped me, because I want to get it right, because I'm just as prone to wander and grumble as they are. And I think it's, uh, forgive me, if it's either Psalm 106.7 or 107.6. But you want to look in the Amplified Translation because the three things the Israelites didn't do. One was they didn't appreciate the significance of God's miracles. Secondly, they didn't marvel at the abundance of his mercies. And thirdly, they didn't imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. And what I realized for me was that my default response really was fear that if God has allowed this much, how much worse is he going to Mm -hmm. allow in my life? But when I looked at how the Israelites, their first sin was they turned away from listening to a God. If you look in the Old Testament, that was their first thing is they, you can only listen to one voice at a time. Mm-hmm. And how often we're giving airtime to our inner critic or to the liar, the accuser of the brethren. We're giving him more airtime than the Lord because the enemy shouts, you know, the Lord whispers and they stopped listening to the voice of the Lord. And it said, by turning from God, their hearts hardened. And so when you're not listening to God, your heart is already getting hardened to God. So think about that. So by not appreciating the significance of his miracles, they had a front row seat. I mean, they were emancipated out of slavery with the riches of Egypt. You know, I I believe, Stan, their bodies were healed because it says not a feeble one was among them. There's no possible way. I studied words describing their slavery, brutal, ruthless, relentless, oppressive. And as a former fitness person, I know there were herniated discs. There were parasites. There's arthritis. 
Hmm. There's no physical way hmm. they could be emancipated after that many years of brutal, oppressive slavery and not have a feeble one among them. I, I just happen to believe in my layman's you know, study is that while the angel of death was passing through the land of Egypt, the life for those who were under the blood, that God was setting them up to truly emancipate them from slavery. And then he parted the sea and you know all that he did for them, but they were so quick to forget the miracles. So one of the ways, one of the practical ways, I think that we can start to retrain our heart and mind so that we can start to build a case for the goodness of God is to remember his miracles. If you're in between miracles, grab one from past Mm -hmm. scripture, grab one from your history, bring it to the forefront and say, this will have to do for now because he is the same God. And then you got his mercies. They're new every morning. I mean, he gives us mercies before we ever had a chance to blow it. It's his mercies are singing a song to us that says, I'm so committed to getting you home. I've got more mercies in my heart than you do have sin in your heart. He doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. I mean, we should be continually in awe that he doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. And then there's the imprinting of his loving kindness. That's This was the big one. And this is what I started to apply to my life before I wrote the book. And then the book sort of came out of this practice. But it was like, I, I was so traumatized by the sickness and the symptoms and the contrast, exactly like you're saying, Stan, all of it. Like, I, you know, what do, what good are the promises if it's like you're going to just allow what you will to some and some, you know, suffer terribly? It doesn't seem like you intervene. Like, what good are the promises? And I, I wanted to understand and have a biblical faith, but I was doing what the Israelites were doing, becoming more associated with trauma and trials than I was with his promises. So I started just started here by looking around and thanking God for every blessing in my life and not just thanking him, like counting my blessings and amassing them, but tethering every blessing to a God who loves me, who to whom I'm tethered. Right. So I suddenly could see I have a loving father who granted me that fluffy pillow and a stable, steady, godly husband and food in my cupboard, you know, and friends and family who pray for me. All of these things are very personal gifts from God because he loves me. And the more that I retrain my heart and mind to go, God is good. His promises are true. He will always make a way for me. The less the enemy had opportunity to bait me into accusing God of things that he was actually guilty of. So all of that to say, this book is a 40-day journey. And if you need to take 60, do it because science says 40 to 60 to form new neural pathways in your brain. I want you to rehearse his goodness. I'm building a case for his goodness and I'm praying it's a healing balm because I'll say what happened to me is I was just going, I refuse and reject fear. I reject rejection. I reject all the stuff that weakens me because the spirit, the scripture says a mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So if there's not life or peace on it, I'm not having it in my brain. Hmm. And I started to really just apply myself because I was fighting for my life. And my husband said, your eyes look different. You're carrying yourself different. And it's something in me healed, Stan. I mean, physiologically, when you think thoughts that weaken you, When you think berating thoughts, fearful thoughts, when you say things that berate yourself or you speak a narrative over your story that doesn't agree with heaven or you speak evil things of other people, that literally initiates a chemical reaction in your body because we're fearfully, wonderfully made. And and so in the same way, you speak life. There's power in the tongue. As you say, I am a child of God. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Cells react to that. Neuropathways react to that. And that's, again, just trying to make the case that you are such an integrated, beautifully made creation of God. And when we come into agreement with him, everything changes. That's so good. God is always at work among us. Allie's dependence on the Lord went to a whole new level when she moved to Bogota, Colombia to be a teacher. 
In her seven years there, she met her husband, began their family, and also became very fluent in Spanish. You grow in a different way, in a different country. So now Spanish is just a whole different level of intimacy with the Lord. So I just felt like my heart language started changing over to Spanish. Then about four years ago, Allie and her family moved back to Aurora, and they deeply missed that regular connection to God in their heart language. We had missed worship music in Spanish. Every time I worship in Spanish, it's that special place in my heart that has that intimacy with the Lord in Spanish gets to come back alive. So Allie was thrilled to learn about MyBridge Espanol coming to their community, giving 24-7 access to a connection to God in Spanish. My husband and I, I remember we looked at each other and we just started crying. We're trying to raise our kids bilingual, and so being able to have an opportunity for them to learn the songs and sing along with it and worship the Lord in the Spanish language has been a huge blessing. This month, MyBridge Espanol's network is expanding, bringing hope-filled Nebraska-based Christian radio in Spanish to Norfolk. God is on the move, and we are excited to see how He will continue to move through MyBridge Espanol. My Bridge Radio, celebrating God at work among us. Share your story and join the conversation in the Connect Now section at MyBridgeRadio.net. You know, as you were talking, Susie, I was just thinking again about a scripture that I meditated on for a, a bit, and it comes up a different couple of different places in the Psalms. And the, the psalmist David is kind of talking to himself, and he said, "Why so downcast, O my soul?" Put your trust in God. I'll again praise him. And what I was thinking as you were sharing is it's not enough just to believe it, right? So sometimes I think people go, well, yeah, I know. I've read that. I, I know that verse. I, I heard that sermon. But you you can't just, you've got to rehearse it. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that whole dynamic because, again, I think that many of us Christ followers, we go, well, no, I know the Bible-ish. Not that I know it perfectly, but I know the Bible. I know the scriptures. I've heard the promises. Help us connect the difference between just knowing it and even believing it at a level, but really rehearsing it and actively engaging it. I was going back and forth in an audio text with a friend this morning who's in a fight for her life health-wise, but she's a warrior. She said, Susie, I just don't think enough Christians know how to fight for themselves. Mm. You know, we've been given the armor and we put up with so much. And one of the readings in Waking Up to the Goodness of God is titled Strategically Accept and Reject. And uh, in that story, I, the opening, I tell a story, I'm sitting at a restaurant with a friend and we're talking about a very painful relational issue for her. And then the server came up and I'm looking at the server and I'm looking at my friend and I watched her jaw muscles clench and her eyes became slits and her hands clenched. And I could tell she, her thoughts went south. And once the server walked away, I'm like, what, what happened just now? She goes, oh, no, I'm fine. And I go, no, you're not fine. What just happened just now? I'm good. I'm like, please tell me what just happened. Where, where'd your thoughts go? And she opened her mouth and admitted fear, rejection, despair, anger, unforgiveness, like she'd worked through so much of it and it came all thundering back. And so we talked our way back into a place of hope. And I said in that, in that uh, particular reading that we so passively accept the enemy's lies and we so passively refuse to reject 
the things he's putting in our lives. And yet daily, the heavens pour forth speech. So somehow we've got to engage our hearts and keep our hearts in it. You know, it's one thing to get rest you need. We all need rest, but that doesn't ever mean you go on autopilot. It doesn't ever mean you take a break and you leave your weapons of warfare at home. The enemy is prowling around looking for someone to devour. And so it's not that we live in fear, but we live on guard. We live aware. And you think about like the Israelites again, I I think I referenced this passage from Psalms in that reading, but it says, the Israelites refused to believe God's promise to love and care for them. So they stayed in their tents and grumbled and refused to obey the Lord. That said they refused to enter the promised land because they refused to believe God's promise to love and care for them. So it was like their fear started out legitimate and then it became rebellious to the point that they were refusing to believe God. And then they crawled into the smallness of their circumstance and grumbled because their circumstance was small and hopeless. And I think so often we do the same thing without realizing it. We are forgetters. And this is why it says over and over again, remember, rehearse, Psalm 145, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. That means you're talking about, again, if you're in between miracles, tell them about a miracle from scripture. Tell them about the time when you prayed for groceries and God provided. Keep these things on the forefront of your mind. Keep them on your tongue. When you're telling, you're doing that. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor. So I'm meditating on the majesty of God. When that enemy comes in and bullies me, I go to passages in Psalms that say he merely spoke and the heavens came to be. There's a passage, I think it's Psalm 127. It says he heals up the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. He put the stars in place and called them each by name. So when the enemy comes in and tries to threaten that God's lost my address or God's looked away or there's no limit to what God will allow in my life, I go to passages like that. Go, you're wrong. You're wrong about my God. This is who he is. So we uh, let, uh, I will meditate on your majestic, glorious Mm. splendor. And I will meditate on your wonderful miracles. That implies a rehearsing, a thinking about Listen to this. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. That is a proclamation that each one of us should be perpetually in awe and be so in tune with what God is doing that we're talking about it. And I would go back to the gratitude piece. If you're not grateful for the things in your life, you're not going to see goodness when it comes. When you're in operating in your false identity, when you're operating in fear, you will not see goodness when it comes because fear is such a dangerous trap. It, but when you start to go, I know who my God is, you will see his handiwork everywhere. And then you'll start to talk about it. I will proclaim your greatness. Listen to this. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. <laughs> Every single person listening today, he's been good to you. What we tend to do is count all the ways the enemy's been bad to us. <laughs> but God has been good to each of us. He showers compassion on all his creation. So all of your works will thank you, Lord. Your faithful followers will praise you. So for the person listening today going, I already know that truth. Well, when was the last time you worshiped with reckless abandon right in the middle of your circumstances saying, my God has been good. He's being good and he will be good again. And you worship him as a sacrifice and an offering because he hasn't changed. He's the same God. And he made no promises we wouldn't suffer on this planet. In fact, he promised we will. Are his praises on our tongue? And this is, I'll just finish here. I think it's so amazing. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. Listen to this. They will give examples of your power. (laughs) They will tell about your mighty deeds and the majesty of your reign. And then it goes on to say he always keeps his promises. Hmm. And I just think if there, if you, if you can't give examples of his power, if your Christianity is powerless, 
and then you're grumbling and complaining. Oftentimes the problem is with us. And if you can retrace your steps, it's what you've been meditating on, what you've been rehearsing, what you've been accepting, what you haven't been rejecting. And so maybe it's time to re-engage, to go, in my mind, I'm going to have the mind of Christ. I'm going to rehearse his promises. And when fear, when all these things come at me, I'm going to know how to deal with them because I'm not going to let the enemy build a case against God and I'm not going to build a case against God. He loved me so much he sent his son. He's not going to withhold anything from me that I need and I'm going to trust him. Yeah. You know, one of the things that really clicked for me as you were sharing, the reality of that, it's not just enough just to know spiritual truth. We've got to engage that truth and bring it back and we've got to rehearse it. We've got to speak to our soul. Part of the reason why that's so critical is because we do have an adversary who is active, who is seeking to put lies and confusion and doubt into our hearts and into our minds. We have a world system in which he's in control of that is doing the same thing, trying to bring confusion and fear. And so we're not actively engaging the world, the word and uh, the truth of scripture and the reality of who God is and what he's done in our lives before and what we've seen in scripture, then uh, we're going to lose that battle like every time. Yeah. When you think you can put your head in the sand and just sort of bide your time until Jesus comes, it's just not going to work. The enemy Mm. knows his time is short and he wants so much to just cause as much collateral damage as possible. But here's something to remember. If you're in Christ, the spirit of God is alive in you. You've bowed your knee to Jesus and he's your savior. Your identity is secure and your eternity is secure. He can't touch those things. But what he can do is steal your joy, kill your fruit, destroy your peace of mind. And to the extent that you allow that to happen does impact eternal mm-hmm. reward yeah. because suddenly you go into self-preservation. You go into fear mode. And and you know, just yesterday morning, I was reading in Matthew, I want to say it was 16, and Jesus asked his disciples, who do others say that I am? And they're like, Elijah, John the Baptist, the prophet. He goes, who do you say I am? And Peter, you remember, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, the Spirit of God, you know, the Father has revealed that to you, Peter, and I'm calling you Peter. And then he goes on to kind of speak to what goes with Peter's identity. On this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. And he was, I I felt like he was speaking into him going, not only are you one of mine, but let me tell you what goes with becoming part of the kingdom, keys to the kingdom, what you forbid on earth. I mean, there was all this authority and this, you know, benefit to belonging in the kingdom of God. And I thought that is so powerful because it's like God revealed to Peter Jesus' identity. And when God did that, Jesus spoke back to Peter his identity. Mm. And, you know, but then the very next paragraph, Jesus said, I got to go to Jerusalem. And that's where I'm going to suffer many things by the leaders at the hands of leaders. And they're going to kill me, but I'll be raised again. Mm. And Peter's like, oh, for heaven forbid, may it never be. And Jesus like, get behind me, Satan. Exactly. (laughs) He said, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are not Mm. seeing things. And this is my paraphrase from heaven's point of view, but from the world's point of view. And I thought, how does a guy go from a heavenly revelation to a revelation from the pit of hell in a matter of moments? It's fear. And it was interesting to me that when he was in fear is when he was a dangerous trap to Jesus. Mm. And when we are in fear, it's not only horrible for our soul and ourselves, but we become a dangerous trap to others because we're speaking out of that fear. We're reacting out of fear. I mean, wars start in fear. Unnecessary surgeries happen because of fear. Fear causes us to self-sabotage. And I think, you know, when we're facing fear, the answer isn't so that fear thing will get out of my way so I don't have to be afraid anymore. The answer is to stomp your feet, raise your hands and say, I need a fresh revelation of your perfect love. I need a revelation 
revelation like Peter had in the last paragraph of who you are, Jesus. And while you're at it, as you're giving me a revelation of who you are, I need a revelation of who I am Hmm. because of who you are. And to me, that is the answer because, you know, there's always greater measures of his love to know. Ephesians says to know this love is to be filled with the fullness of Hmm. God. So if you're facing fear right now and you're kind of grinding your teeth going, I wish God would just take this thing away. He's like, I want you to ask me for a fresh revelation of my love because perfect love will cast out fear. And uh, I think we need those kind of strategies to fight in this day. It is almost like hand-to-hand combat mm-hmm. right now, but the enemy's time is short and Jesus' return is nearer than it's ever been. Yeah, you know, one of the uh, analogies I thought over the years, uh, Susie, when you think about the reality of this balance between Satan is defeated, but yet he can defeat us. <laughs> and yeah. and I use a, a, a poker analogy, right? So if you and I are playing poker, I won't go into the whole logistics of it or whatever, but if I have the better hand, I have a significantly better hand than you do, but I don't know that, right? And mm. I technically can beat you if I believe that and I play my hand, but you have power, not because you have a better hand, but because you can bluff me. If I'm willing to buy into your lie, your bluff, that you've got a better hand than me, out of fear of loss, I may fold, right? Mm. But wow. so, so even though I've got the better hand, you can win if I believe your bluff. That's amazing. That's a great analogy. Wow. Yeah, I, I really, I feel like there's a twofold message this morning as I'm talking with you. One is no one can do this for you. You have to apply your heart to the goodness of God, but it's what your heart was made for. You're wired for love. You're wired for faith, for hope. And and when you're out of sync with that, everything in your body and your soul and your perspective will be out of sync. So start today, just practicing and meditating on, on the goodness of God. So when trials come going, Lord, what you allow, you redeem. I'm going to see your goodness in the land of the living. And it's just, it's good for your cells. It's good for your soul to find hope. Again, your heart can't live without hope. But the other thing I feel like I just need to say, just unique to this interview, is this idea that there are some who are passively being battered by the enemy, and they're wondering why they're one of the unlucky ones when you're not. I mean, it's the enemy just, he's going on a rampage. Put on your armor. Put on some worship music. March around your house and start telling that enemy what's what. Send him out and say, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. And when that happens to me, I turn that table and I pray for missionaries. I pray for church leaders. I pray for revival in our country. And I go down swinging and I come up swinging because I'm not going to be battered. And I th- and I have been at times, but I just think that I don't know if we understand the weapons of our warfare and the power that God has given us to say no and to draw a line and say this far and no more. And I think we need to really understand that. Mm, that's a great word. That's a great word. Help guide the decisions about what songs you continue to hear on My Bridge Radio and how often you hear them. It just seems like the right song comes on at the right time to lift my soul. Every time I turn on my radio, there's always a song that comes on that hits right where I'm at. Be a part of life-changing comments like that. Five Minutes informs every music move we make. Five Minutes, two times per month. Eternal Impact. Go to MyBridgeRadio.net to sign up. Susie, earlier in the conversation, you were talking about uh, a dear friend who uh, delivered faithful wounds <laughs> by speaking a word of truth to you. It really opened your eyes to the reality of the fact that, again, at the core of this devotional, that you were embracing for impact. You kept waiting for the next shoe to drop. There are people who are engaged this morning. They're hearing the conversation. How would they know? How would they, because they maybe don't have that a friend like that that could discern that and speak that word to them. So I kind of want you to speak that word to them today. Like, How, mm-hmm. how would they know that they, too, 
are in that situation where they may not they may not have realized it until today or until these moments here that you're about to reveal it to them, but they've mm-hmm. been living in a state of embracing for impact, waiting for the next shoe to drop, losing sight of the goodness of God. I think many already do know, just they're like, you got my number, but others, maybe you don't know because it's stuffed in your basement. But if you're honest and you ask God to show you your heart, uh, there is hurt in your heart towards God, a disappointment in how your life has turned out. And uh, and there's an absence of peace and hope and joy and love and expectancy um, because God wants you to live in a sense of peace. You know, he wants you to be able to take a nap in the storm. He wants you to be able to live that defies the odds of circumstances. That is part of our birthright as kingdom people. And again, we don't default to those positions and we just have to contend and remind our hearts, remind our souls, you know, rehearse in our minds, my God is good. And I'm telling you, you, when you start to do that, you will feel a physiological shift because your body was made by God for God. And as you glorify God in the way that you think and you speak, speak, hope will come back. We always so think that it's like, I have to postpone joy and postpone hope until my circumstances change. But that's not the supernatural joy and hope that's given us defies circumstances. And so often when that happens, when joy and peace return, Stan, it's like you said with the poker game, there's so much of the crud that's coming at us is spiritual intimidation. It's spiritual bullying. You know, so much of what we fear doesn't ever come to pass. And yet the stuff that God does allow, he does redeem. And I'll wrap up with this one thought that, you know, am I sister was one of my sample readers and she called me choked up. She was almost crying. She goes, I can't believe what you wrote in this particular chapter. And I said, what, what was that? And she said, you don't feel like you've lost anything. Hmm. She said, the first time I've ever heard you say that after three decades of battling Lyme disease, because I said, I honestly feel like I don't feel like I've lost anymore. I feel like I've gained so much more than I've lost because I'm wiser to the enemy's schemes. I'm more intimate with God. I know his word better now. And I have a vitality. What's amazing, I have to just testify, three decades of almost daily neurosymptoms, and I'm not one bit neurologically impaired. And it's one thing the Lord kept telling me, these symptoms harass, but they will not harm you. You will come through this fire without smelling like smoke. And so I just testify that God can redeem all things. So trust him. But it's time to renew your mind. It's time to engage your heart. It's time to get a little bit feisty about what you're accepting, what you're rejecting, what you're believing and what you're receiving. And when you start to actively practice your faith in that way and get in the game, you will start to see a robustness in your faith. And then you'll be ready to move on to the next thing that God has for you. Several times this morning, you've used the phrase accepting and rejecting, strategically using that whole concept. And, and it's so part of you, you just share it. It just kind of comes out and you know exactly what you mean. And it makes sense. But I'd love for you to kind of take that apart a little bit to kind of bring kind of all of us into that whole reality and that strategy of like, no, what is it? When you talk about strategically rejecting and accepting, yeah, coach us this morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, so scripture says a mindset on the spirit is life and peace, but a mind on the flesh is death and destruction. Again, my paraphrase, but it says something like that. And one of the ways you know that you're not operating in your true identity as a child of God is if you're lacking peace, if you mostly feel fear or insecurity or inferiority, anything like that, anything that's disrupting you, weakening you, putting a knot in your gut, you're you're on a faulty platform. And so then you have to say, Lord, show me my heart. What message have I received? What am I afraid of? And the Lord will show you your heart. And then you strategically go about your business. And I, you know, I put on my shoes of peace, my belt of truth, my breastplate of righteousness, my helmet of salvation. I have the mind of Christ, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And when you use the shield of faith, Ephesians, I think it's 616, it talks about with which you extinguish every fiery dart of the enemy. In the, in the, uh, the translation, the way that word translates is dunamis, where we get 
the word dynamite, which means when you say no, when the fiery darts are coming at you, this is the thing. There's Christians walking around with darts sticking out them all over the place. Mm. And they're like, I have this pain in my back and I don't know why. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or Because we are under mm. fire, but we're taking it. But when you use your shield of faith and you say no, there is an explosion in the heavenly realm. And the only way I know how to compare this is, I don't know if you've ever read This Present Darkness, an old novel by Frank Peretti changed my prayer life. I'm telling you, it changed my prayer life many, many years ago. And that book was rejected by, I think, like 20 publishers or something, but it became a runaway bestseller. But he gives an inside look to the spiritual warfare of demons and angels. And there was this point where a pastor's on his knees in this rickety old church and God had sent him to that community. But there were demonic schemes, new age schemes that were prevailing, strongholds really in that community. And he was a simple, humble pastor called and was learning what he was up against and did not know what to do. He was in over his head and he's on his knees and he's crying out to God. And you in the novel, you know he's in there. And then you get a view of the outside of the church with the light coming out of the church. And you see this leathery winged bat flying. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know, because, you know, fear is sort of a default response. For me. I'm right. like, no, no. And out of the blue, right when he gets to the window, a white angel swoops up and intersects and sends that thing hurling end over end into the space. Mm. And I literally flew my book over the class of the room. I'm like, Plah! you know, I'm just like... <laughs> And I love that visual because I think that is what happens mm. when you say, you cannot have my children. Mm. You cannot have my marriage. You cannot have my health. I am set apart for the Lord. When you start to intervene, intercede, and stand in faith, the best you know how, this isn't name it, claim it, because there are things that get through. There is collateral damage at times. But imagine what you would stop if you would learn to stand in faith, to say, I reject fear. I reject insecurity. That's not part of my identity. Because as a Christian, you're seated with Christ. So you can't be more secure than that. You're seated with Christ. You might feel insecure some days, but you can't be more secure than seated with Christ. And I pray that encourages you. It might, it might need be time to get your game on, get your armor on and stand in faith, but then watch God fight for you because he's He's a good God. So good. Yeah. Great ending. <laughs> well, sis, again, thank you for the time. Always a blessing. And uh, next time I'm going to schedule like an hour, hour and a half. Let's like, do oh. it. I'm I'm here for you anytime, Stan. You're my buddy. So uh, really, truly. And if you ever have a last minute need, please call because I, I treasure what you're doing and I'm always honored to serve with you. So we know your time is valuable. So we're grateful you chose to spend some of it listening to Morning Conversation, the podcast. If God used this content to bless you, we'd love to have you share it with a friend. Also, when you click subscribe or follow, not only will our next episode be delivered to your podcast app, you'll help raise awareness so others can more easily find this podcast. For more conversations like this, along with songs of hope and stories of God at work, we invite you to listen to MyBridge Radio. Hear it on the MyBridge Radio app or listen online at mybridgeradio.net.